0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I have a rather niche interview for you. I am sure that if you have spent time in the personal finance realm of bloggers, writers, and even podcasters, you may have heard the phrase, begin with the end in mind. Most entrepreneurs start their business without following that quote, and they may find themselves in a precarious situation in the event that owning your business is just something you don't want to do anymore. Maybe you want to retire, maybe you want to start a new business and don't want to divide your time between two differing enterprises, or maybe it's just not fun anymore. No judgments. It's your life. Personal finance is personal. Well, today, we're going to be talking with Jonathan Kruger. Jonathan is the CEO of a St. Louis-based wealth management firm, is a certified exit planning advisor for business owners, and hosts his own podcast called Living a Richer Life by Design. Jonathan is an expert that specializes in helping business owners sell their business in the most financially beneficial way. At this point, you might be wondering why we're talking to an advisor who helps people sell their business. Now, I understand that there are likely not many entrepreneurs among my audience, but in the spirit of beginning with the end in mind, I wanted to speak with Jonathan for those of you in my audience who may end up starting their own entrepreneurial venture. It is my hope. With the knowledge that you'll gain in today's episode, you will be able to better visualize the path of being a business owner, all the way from the beginning to the finish line, wherever that finish line may be for you. Now, with all of that said, let's go ahead and bring them on. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's no problem at all. There are a couple of things I wanted to ask you about, but before we really get into what we're going to go over today on the episode, would you mind going a little bit into your professional journey from college to where you are now?
1: Absolutely. And Alex, thanks for asking. Back when dirt was made, you know, that's when, no, I'm teasing. I shouldn't go that <laughs> far. But, uh, so I was born in a room with two people I didn't know. And uh, no, I won't go there either. So. <laughs> Uh, So, no, let me kind of explain, you know, since I I graduated from college from the University of Colorado, graduated with an international business degree and a marketing degree, I was inspired to go into that field prior to ever going to college because I'd spent my senior year of high school and then two years following in St. Petersburg, Russia, with my parents who had at the time worked with the Navigators, and my dad still does, That's a nonprofit organization out of Colorado Springs that focuses on parachurch organization, ministry and discipleship. Uh, both in the communities and universities and military. And uh, we had been in Russia for two years following my my senior year of high school, and I had an opportunity to work in international accounting. And so I realized very quickly and early in life that I did not want to do accounting, but I w- had a love for travel and I absolutely had a love for helping people. And so I came back to the U.S. in 1996 with the desire to get my international business degree and marketing degree. And I had the intent of just getting an international business degree and realized very quickly if I wanted to go into the area of finance or international finance, I probably needed to know something about marketing and leadership. And so focused on that and taking an internship with the marketing division of Citigroup in 2000, where... September fifteenth of two thousand, my senior year of college, I went to work with a company called Primerica, which is the marketing division, and had been at that time for reaching the middle class Americans of teaching them how to become debt free and financial independent. I had actually hoped it was a pyramid scheme, you know, one of those multi level <laughs> marketing deals that you could get really rich and wealthy off of. I learned contrary. It was not a multi-level marketing scheme. Otherwise, it would be uh, making a lot of money off all the mortgages I sold as I helped people refinance during the early 2000s. But I ended up identifying that through my journey there, although they had a great crusade and I absolutely loved what they were doing, it was a hard way to cut my teeth in the industry. And I learned a lot about leadership and about passion and about how to be able to serve people. But I identified very quickly that if someone doesn't have a desire to get out of debt, to become debt-free or financial independent, if they don't have a want to, there's not a lot you can do for them because it's all about behavior. And so in order to be able to help someone change their behavior, they had to have a change in their desire. And for most people, they either have that innately or internally, or they don't. And so you end up finding a lot of Americans that are continuing to rack up debt that are just on this... Um, you know, hamster wheel of life where there's no exit and they're just wearing themselves down and they don't know how to be able to take back control. And so I spent over a decade trying to be able to help families. And then, and after two financial collapses in the economy, both in 2001 and two, and then also 2008 and nine, I realized I had propped up my ladder against the wrong corporate environment. And Primarico is a great company, but what I found at that time, and they may be different now, I'm not aware of it, But at that time, it was based off of what meets the profitability of the company and the firm, rather than what's the best interest for the individual. Uh, Regardless of the fact that they're selling term insurance, it was uh, really looking at how the mortgages are set up or the mutual funds. And that really discouraged me. And so I began a process of identifying and looking for opportunities for what is a business I could go into where I could still help people financially, but I could be in alignment with what my character and my soul had set out to do so many years prior? And so in 2012, I went back into the field, but this time as a registered investment advisor and began working with a company out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I lived for almost 19 years prior to moving out here to St. Louis in 2015. And I started up a new business at that point, now known as Lionsgate Advisors. And Lionsgate Advisors has really been a unique opportunity for us to be able to build a great dynamic team that's highly functioning and has an incredible capacity for serving others well. And I found out that we can't be all things to all people, but we can be all things to a few. And so what we've really specialized in during that timeframe is how do we legally disinherit the IRS from one's estate? And how do we help business owners recapture more of the money that they make and earn? Rather than it just disappearing because so many times money can fall through the cracks, whether you're growing a business or exiting a business or whether you're an investor and just trying to figure out how to beat the game and be able to accumulate wealth for the first time. Or you've had that significant private equity deal that's gone through that you need to be able to sell off and you're wondering how to be able to mitigate taxes and how to be able to keep all of it versus losing it in the next market downturn.
0: I gotta say, there is an awful lot about your story that I identify with, and that if put in your same situation, I would probably have done the same thing. Something I'd especially like to comment on is that I really love what you had said about disinheriting the IRS. I've I've heard versions of that before, but that just sounds so great. I'll disinherit the IRS. Because you're right, there are a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of places in the system where. The IRS is standing there with their handout saying, hey, where's my cut?
1: Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right.
0: That is definitely a very important thing, especially when you're getting rid of assets, whether that be preparing to pass it on to your kids or some kind of secession thing. There's always a time where the IRS is coming after you. And with that, I'd like to move over into one of the specialties that you and Lionsgate advisors specialize in is secession planning, or I think, as you had said, exit planning. Mm hmm. So what all goes into that? And why would someone reach out to maybe someone to assist them with exit planning?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked because for a business owner, you know, life is not just comprised of just your business and just your personal life. Really, there's a balance between three different aspects. It's your family, your emotional, and your business, right? And where you find a unique opportunity to be able to sell your business or help scale your business so I think Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And so if you begin with the end in mind of what you want to achieve, and you have a clear, concise, mental picture of what it is that you want life to look like after you exit, then you can start to back into a really good growth strategy. And that sounds odd, but you know, we're talking about succession. But good succession is really having good fundamental business practices that aligns both in your personal life and in your business life. So I'm a certified exit planning advisor through the Exit Planning Institute out of Cleveland. And there's a methodology called the value acceleration methodology that's listed out in Chris Snyder's book called Walking to Destiny. And it's 11 actions an owner must take to rapidly grow value and unlock wealth. And really, we've taken the viewpoint that everyone's wealth as business owners isn't just in their business, but also in their personal finances. And so when you look at, you have a business valuation of what you can sell your business for, but then you have the wealth that you've accumulated outside of that. And there's usually a wealth gap between what you can sell your business for and what you accumulate and what you need to sell your business for in order to live the lifestyle that you've come accustomed to. So when you think about that wealth gap, you have to be able to focus on either changing expectations for how you want to live your life, or you need to focus on how do you grow your business to be able to exit at that valuation that you need to be able to sell it for in order to be able to live the lifestyle of your dreams or what you've become accustomed to. So a succession, an exit plan, is about determining you need to keep the business to continue to grow it to get there, or you need to sell it because you've achieved those goals. We have it broken out uh, in a stages, and I'd be happy to share more about that if you'd like.
0: Absolutely. But first, let me just clarify something. So it sounds like the assumption here is that the exit planning is exiting in a way that you're either not working again, or never going to have to work again, or you're never going to start a new business. Is that kind of the assumption here? Not necessarily. Um, it's interesting
1: that you, as you asked that, over two-thirds of respondents to that have exited their business stated that they had gone into some form of depression after selling their business. And the reason for that is primarily, most business owners have always created their identity around their business, and that's become their life, right? And so when you are a business owner as I am, and you've you're putting in eighty, ninety hours a week into your business and you're getting it up and growing, you know, but you do that year in and year out. And all of a sudden you find yourself with all this free time. There oftentimes becomes an identity crisis of the question being, what's next? So we like to ask, what's your third act? Well, what is it that you want to be? Is it that you're going to now go golfing for a month and decide to come back, get refreshed, and then you're going to go off and um, start a new company. But each time that you sell a business, or maybe pass it on to other generations in your family or sell it to the employee stock ownership plan. You know, Whatever that may be, you have a plan to follow to help you navigate that change. right? Because anytime you move and you pick up from, let's say you picked up from Arkansas, you moved to St. Louis, there's a cultural change and difference. And you have to be able to adjust to that and adapt. And if you don't, you'll become very bitter and angry. And so we have to help our business owners really navigate
0: that change well. Definitely. And it sounds like something that career employees have, the sense of identity in that a lot of articles I see where people retire early, and I see there's a lot of counter arguments of you shouldn't retire early because you're going to be depressed and you're going to go right back to work within six months or a year later. I think What you're describing with business owners who have sold their business is a lot like salaried employees in that you spent however many years or a lifetime building this identity of I am a this and this is what I do. I mean, I cringe at the amount of times just while you're talking about that, that I've said to my girlfriend, "Uh, I'm an analyst. It's my job to look for all the risk and how to mitigate that risk. And that's because I do draw quite a bit of my identity from my job. And I imagine that's very common. So it sounds like there's a lot of similarities between someone with a salary retiring early and a business owner who is selling their business in that you sort of get that depression, that separation of, oh, well, without this, what am I? Well, a little bit, Alex, but there's a difference there. And that a a career
1: employee, when they go into depression, they really go into depression. And um, if they don't have a a next plan, And oftentimes the reason why the depression sets even further is because, um, they try to go back to the workplace and back into the marketplace to be able to get hired. And they realize that because their age or, you know, their skill level is degrading over time, there may not be a job market for them. And so then there's a discouragement. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie called The Intern. Uh, it was, uh, Anne Hathaway and, um, Uh, is it Dennis Hoffman or who was it that played that? But you know who I'm talking about.
0: No, it's the guy that always plays the angry father in the movie where it's like like the romantic.
1: Yeah. 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 De Niro. There you go. Robert De Niro. So Robert De Niro uh, did an excellent job in that movie. You know, it's funny. My dad is doing full-time ministry, but then picks up a working for my brothers, be kind of being a part-time job, helping them as they're building their business out in Colorado. And, it was interesting, is that my dad felt like he was the intern in that movie, and Robert De Niro did a great job portraying a gentleman that was there. He was ready to serve; he could get the work done. But it wasn't till the end of the movie that you it discloses that he used to own the newspaper, the printing press, uh, you know, that was there in that same office space in the office building, and it, he had been a CEO, he had been a business owner himself, right? But because of where he was in life no one saw him in that same light as being the person in charge, the decision maker, the person with wisdom, that that sage, if you will. And so when you think of a career employee, they most of the time don't have the same level of confidence or understanding of what it would take in order to start their own business and do it over. Whereas an entrepreneur that's had success, that's sold a business, knows exactly what it takes to be able to rebuild it. And oftentimes, they'll venture out on even if it's doing some consulting or some other business work uh, because they have that aptitude for the risk. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. It's a different confidence level because it's a lot harder to go start a business, go out, hire people, bring them in, develop all of the systems and basically be in charge of and responsible for every little thing in that business. I can definitely identify with that person having a lot more confidence than oh, I went out and I put out 20 resumes and of those 22 companies called me and I went with company A. Right. So I can definitely agree with the identity of, yes, the business owner is in a better position, especially if they've just sold their business and not had it closed on them. Right. They're probably sitting on a lot more assets to where this isn't as dire of a situation. Hopefully so. Hopefully, yes. So it sounds like a lot of what you guys do is A, disinherit the IRS, which... I love that phrase. I'm going I'm to sneak it in somewhere else. Good. Disinherit the IRS. Legally two, uh, legally. there, Alex. You always have to throw that in there. Legally disinherit the IRS. <laughs> yes. I, I got to throw that in. My, one of my favorite things was told to me by a finance professor in, when I was in college was tax avoidance is legal. Tax evasion is illegal.
1: Yeah, but the IRS, <laughs> when they hear either one, they're like, oh, I'm going to go after you. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to be able to, anytime you talk about advanced tax strategies... You have to always sit through on that term. Uh, We're going to show you how to legally disinherit the IRS using strategies that are well promoted and founded with little risk.
0: Right. It's the difference between putting money in a 401k so that it's tax deferred versus Wesley Snipes' Blade Don't Pay No Taxes. Well,
1: you had to bring up Wesley Snipes. That was actually (laughs) a very legal thing that he did. And he tried to fight the IRS, but they had much deeper pockets than he did. Um, So doing some research on that, that gets into a whole nother sidebar conversation about straw man account and stating your citizenship as a United States American versus a U.S. citizen. So that was a completely different story on his end. But uh, when you think of proactive strategies, uh, another way of saying it would be the difference between being able to live the life of your dreams based off of your own goals and what you've set for yourself versus only having three squares in a cot. Uh, you know, in prison. So that's a real difference between the two, between tax ev- uh, avoidance and tax evasion.
0: Right. One of them gets you locked up, the other one gets you, well, you know, more of your money. That's right. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, we kind of got off on a tangent. So, what I was saying was basically, it sounds like you guys, or rather you as an exit planner or just the exit planning profession, does two things just from my limited knowledge. One, it helps them disinherit the IRS legally using well-promoted strategies. And two, it sounds like it's more of a, I don't want to say psychiatrist, but sort of helping people mentally move on from that identity of I'm a business owner and sort of really enjoying their retirement after selling their business.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's the after part, right? So the helping a family be able to convert their assets from their business being their largest asset because 90% of most wealth for business owners is tied up in their business itself. And so when they convert that from being an income generator, right? Because they've used it for lifestyle or to grow their business and for their uh, income. Now they've got to find something else to equally generate the same type of income consistently for them to be able to maintain that as well as the growth associated with it to keep up with our head of inflation. And so, the conversion of one asset type to another asset type is what we specialize in. And a lot of guys can help create wealth or they uh, quote unquote say they can because they're some type of planner. Maybe it's a CFP or they've just, they've been in selling products for a long time and they're very confident about those specific products. But very few advisors are actually analysts that can help identify the risk, but really point out opportunities for where they can convert from a growth model to an income stream, right? A consistent income stream that they know that they'll never outlive or outspend.
0: Gotcha. Anyone can have a pot of money. The trick is getting the pot of money to pay you while not reducing the pot of money.
1: Yeah. And keeping up with growth. Exactly.
0: If you don't mind me asking, just because you got me curious, what kinds of methods are there? Like, What kind of assets do you particularly run through and possibilities for people to achieve that?
1: It's going to be, you know, so anytime you're looking at, Mitigating risk, you're having to look at what someone's risk tolerance is, and then each person's solutions is going to differ based off of their level of wealth, as well as what tax issues they might have. Right? So, right. you know, it, for someone that it has is a qualified investor that has over five million uh, that they can work with, there are more strategies available to them than someone that has less than a million. So, in the SEC's all-knowing wisdom, they've decided that anyone that has less than a million dollars isn't sophisticated enough to be able to know how to invest their money. And so they've been able to pigeonhole that for the masses to only have access to really retail products up until the last three years. And so through crowdfunding and some of the uh, the laws that have changed for that, it's created opportunities for smaller investors that have less than a million to have opportunity to invest in uh, startup companies and pre-IPOs, right? Companies that before they go have an um, initial public offering or on the stock exchange.
0: Right. So buying into a private company.
1: Yeah. And so being able to, be, to engage firms that are looking to raise capital through private equity gives investors an opportunity to create wealth, but it can also be a way to further diversify their investment outside of the stock market. So whether you're looking for real estate investment, uh, commercial real estate investment, or you're taking a look at a residential, or if you're taking a look at crowdfunding opportunities for private equity or Bitcoin, You know, there's a lot more investment opportunities for someone that's trying to create wealth. But then similarly, there's other great opportunities for those that have accumulated wealth to be able to uh, insure it. So when you think through insurance, I'm really talking about how do you hedge against downside risk or loss, right? And so there's any number of strategies to do that. And I'd be happy to meet with anyone that would like to explore if you have uh, tax liabilities where you owe the IRS at least $120,000 or more a year, or you're doing a quarterly basis of at least $30,000 a quarter, uh, let me know because I'll be able to show you how to be able to mitigate that tax liability and, and convert it into an income producing asset. The second thing is that when you're talking about these advanced tax strategies, it all is based on the behavioral bias that the individual has. So if someone, Alex, is created their wealth through businesses, they may not have any trust or confidence in the stock market. So they may be looking for us to have vetted out other late stage venture capital opportunities, such as um, investing into Airbnb or SpaceX or Palantir, uh, which just recently went public. So those are companies that are not, other than Palantir now, uh, we have a list of a number of others that are not publicly traded, but we have access to. And so the those business owners may have a greater comfort with working with companies that aren't on the exchange yet, but they have a lot more upside potential based off of their cash flows and understanding the, the marketplace or business that they had worked in prior.
0: That is very interesting. So in a way, you're kind of like a broker in that if you're trying to find this income producing asset, you guys have connections. And rather, I'm talking about you guys specifically over at Lionsgate Advisors and not necessarily every exit planner because I'm not talking to everybody. Uh, You guys sort of act as a broker in allowing these higher net worth individuals find these investments to be able to invest in, including or rather especially with these private equity deals.
1: Well, good question. So a broker is very different from an advisor. So you know, when I was over at city, I was a broker. And brokers sell on a commission basis, and uh, these are non-commissioned products that we're doing. and so we we are actually advisors. We charge an advisor fee for acting as the quarterback and managing uncorrelated and diversified strategies uh, for our investors. And so that's really a key is to make sure, that, you know, it becomes an issue in the absence of value. And so it really determines on what is the value that is being provided. And then um, what's the upside opportunity as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Maybe I misspoke there. I admit, I did say broker and you're right. I, that was a needed correction. But in general, what I had meant was just a broker in the sense that you're bringing together the person who wants to buy the equity yeah. and the person who wants to sell the equity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're looking at, we we have teams that do that specifically. And as advisors, we really act as the ones to pr- just like you do as a commercial credit analyst. I'm right now going through at the present moment, I'm going through the process of studying for my SEMA, uh, which is Certified Investment Manager Analyst. And so it's on analyzing risk. It's understanding how do you help identify the right opportunities, but then when the right opportunities come along, How do you do the correct due diligence on the management of those companies, the people, the process, the philosophy, the performance, and really dive into it? So we go through that due diligence because we understand that most of our clients don't have that level of expertise for doing their own. And uh, then we're able to provide that research and make the recommendations for the best solution.
0: Makes sense to me. Definitely sounds like an acronym that I might look into adding at the end of my name. That'd be a good one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, before we go here, there is one more thing I want to cover. We kind of talked about sort of being a business owner and then wanting to get rid of it. And then from there all the way to the end of reinvesting that money that you did have in your business in a way that you can get income back from it. But I think we skipped over an important part, and I definitely want to get that covered before we get out of here. And that is, at what point should a business owner reach out to you or another certified exit planner or just some kind of exit planning advisor to start looking into and start the process of offloading their business?
1: Well, great question. So, Alex, typically, business owners will need to meet with someone like myself five to seven years prior to them wanting to have an exit, if not sooner. The, yeah, you know, I think every coach has the ability to help. Uh, grow uh, to their level of expertise. But then there comes a time where they need to have uh, someone that really specializes on taking it to the next level to either increase the multiple and valuation of the firm and make it more attractive to other buyers. So our value acceleration methodology helps increase the multiple. So if someone that had a competitor firm in the same city with a similar type of client base, did not have the right systems in place or diversification of client base or other revenue streams operationally, then what may happen is that your firm, because you did have everything in place, may sell at a five-time multiple where the person down the street may only sell for two to three. So that can be a big difference. And I'm using that on the low end of multiples, but that can be a significant difference when going to market with your firm to make it presentable to private equity firms that may want to buy you up.
0: Gotcha. So about five to seven years, give or take.
1: Ideally. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it can happen sooner, but uh, oftentimes what we see is business owners give me a call within six months of their wanting to sell because they just all of a sudden reached the point that they're burnt out, they're toast and they're ready to go. And they're like, I'm ready to sell. Tell me what I got (laughs) to do. There's a triggering event here that we need to go through. And that triggering event We'll really start off with what I call the discovery phase, and that's looking at what's your business valuation and assess the personal financial business. And then what we do is we create a prioritized action plan in that discovery phase. Once you're there and you've kind of gone through this discovery phase and then you're ready to commit to let's look at how we can develop our personal financial plan as well as identify areas for business improvement and then make it symbol proof and de-risk your business uh, inadequacies that may not be attractive to uh, other buyers in the marketplace. And then ongoing, the third phase would be deciding whether or not you're going to continue to grow the business or exit it. And you know, when you go through that, you can make the business more efficient tax-wise, as well as reap more benefit and profit And of course, that all just puts you in a better personal financial place, but also have a greater business valuation. So oftentimes for us, Alex, we're dealing with, because I mentioned earlier, our goal is not to be all things to all people, but all things to a few. We're typically seeing business owners of at least a 5 million or more in EBITDA. Uh, But when we're working with smaller firms that are just getting up and rolling, we're helping them put into place the processes or identifying Those key team members
0: or trusted advisors that need to be on their team to help them go to that level of growth. Makes sense to me. So let me ask you this Would it make sense? Now I'm asking this completely because I don't know the answer to the question, but would it make sense, even if you're not sure when or if you want to sell your business, but to maybe maintain a relationship with an exit planner in the case that you have that, as you had said, a triggering event where it's like, you know what, I'm done like six more months and then I'm out?
1: Yeah, and I, I would say yes to that, Alex, because oftentimes what happens is that there's really three or four different Ds that someone could experience. They could go through a divorce, they could be they could have a death in the family, or they could die themselves, or they could become disabled. Any of those could cause or even you know bankruptcy, any of those things could cause really a point in time where that they want to sell the business that was an inopportune time. And so if you begin with reading a book called Traction. By Gina Wickman, or if you think of reading Scaling Up uh, or the Rockefeller Habits, and you start with that in mind for how you want to grow your business, it's really, either of those two systems are great for helping you think through what systems you need to have in place in order to grow your business. And then surround yourself with other like minded people that can challenge you from a CEO perspective that may actually be going through something similar if you don't have a coach or if you haven't hired a coach every professional athlete has a coach or most of them do. Typically, when you see those that have gone to a level that you want to achieve, it's because they've had a coach to help guide them there. And one of the biggest things I find for most business owners is that they haven't dedicated the time for personal development and it's become a lifestyle need for earning an income to make their lifestyle goals. They get caught up in the rat race again, First, they were employed and then they got disenchanted with their employer and they said, I can do this on my own. So I want to go out there and do it. I'm the hardest worker I know. They go out and become what they thought was going to be a business owner. But, you know, according to Robert Kiyosaki with his book Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant, they just become a self employed person without a system in place or an asset they could actually sell. So to have a coach, this is a long winded answer to your question. To have a coach early on is something I'd highly recommend. I would recommend it with the perspective, though, of realizing that each coach has their own ability to take you to a certain level. And at some certain level, you may need to change coaches or identify a different coach that can take you to the next level. And that would be true of an exit planner as well. So just constantly be uh, looking to have that validated or have a coach that can be the quarterback for you to continue to introduce you to the other Trust advisors that can help add value to your team.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. You have to have a coach. You have to have someone to call you on your BS if you have it. And you need to have someone that's constantly pushing you because there are some times that you feel burnt out. You need that person behind you giving you a kick in the rear so that you keep going towards your dreams or whatever it is that you're trying to do. That's right. So with all that said, we've talked an awful lot today about the mindset of selling your business when you should reach out to somebody, some things you should keep in mind, what a certified exit planner can do for you. We've even talked to your own group, the Lionsgate Advisors. Where else can my listeners find more about you and exit planning and just what it is that you and your really entire field does?
1: Well, first, to answer your first question, I think you answered asked like two in that question. So let me see if I can address them. To learn more about Lionsgate Advisors, you can go to lionsgateadvisors.com. Um, it's like Lionsgate, the entertainment company, but with advisors on the end, right? So those two are separate companies and not related. But lionsgateadvisors.com is where you can learn more about our firm. And then second, to learn more specifically about exit planning, I would encourage you to look up on Amazon Prime, look up Walking to Destiny. And it's for business owners by a business owner. And Chris is uh, now the uh, one of the owners of the Exit Planning Institute. And I think you would find this incredibly valuable. It really helps you identify what are the three gates that you need to go to, and then the the eleven action steps for rapidly growing the value and unlocking the wealth of your firm. And so I would I'd recommend reading that book. There's a number of other great books, like what I've already mentioned, but I'd recommend reading that book to have an understanding of what a certified exit planning advisor can provide or do the value that can be brought to the table. And honestly, when I'm working with other advisors on a team for business owners, that's one of the first questions I ask. Are they a certified exit planning advisor? And if they're not, then I ask that they go through a three-day course to at least be brought up to speed so we're using the same language for how to be able to collaboratively provide better advice and direction for the business owner. So if you would like more information about that, you can visit me on LinkedIn, uh, Jonathan Krueger one I think is what it is uh, on LinkedIn, the number one, and you can find me there on Lionsgate Advisors. So shoot me a message or let me know, and I'd be happy to be able to send you a copy of this book or provide an e-copy for you, and we can talk a little bit further.
0: All righty. And all of those links, all of the books, and no matter what the end of his LinkedIn is, it'll all be LinkedIn in the description, <laughs> description below. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you this, Jonathan. Do you have any other, maybe last second punchline pieces of advice for our audience here today for assuming they're a business owner that, you know, at some point will end up selling their business?
1: Yeah, live intentionally. You know, be intentional with with how you're going to live your life as a father or mother or as a human. Uh, Be intentional with how you're going to uh, empower others. And I think we're, you know, my sister sent me this, and I love it. It's a statement that says, Your vocational life comes from where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And that was written by Frederick Buckner. And I would suggest that live intentionally with that in mind. And if you're a faith-filled believer, claim his promises each day in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. And trust, hey, God's got my best plan in mind. if you don't have anything uh, any knowledge about the Bible, then set a clear, concise mental picture of what you want to achieve and then find a place for you to be able to rest and recharge in, in your soul but that's that's something for each of you as you listen to this to be able to take away today is live intentionally and give generously with that in mind of. Your vocational life comes from where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need.
0: Live intentionally. I I gotta say, that's gotta be the shortest last words of wisdom, but possibly the most impactful. Well, Jonathan, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I gotta admit, we've gone completely far off of where I thought this show was going, but I couldn't be happier about it.
1: I'm glad to hear it, Alex. anytime I can uh, help you or any of your listeners, uh, feel free to give me a call or email. We'd be happy to see what we could do for you.
0: Absolutely. Sounds like a plan to me. I will definitely be reaching back out. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go find out Jonathan's website. Go check out Lionsgate Advisors. Go check out his podcast, which we mentioned once or twice during the show. It is all linked below. And while you guys are doing that, I will see you all next week.